Hey, good morning. Hey, good to see you. Uh, welcome to River Glen, week number two of uh, Big Mouth. And uh, it's good to be back. You may not have noticed, but I was gone for a little bit. Hey, thanks. I was on uh, vacation for a couple weekends in the Wisconsin Dells. Had a great time. And then uh, before that, had a little bit of a back issue that slowed me down, but it's doing a lot better. And so it's good to be back. You know, I've enjoyed good health for, for many years. And so having this back uh, issue and some, and some pain is kind of new for me. Went to the uh, doctor a bunch of times, spent a lot of time in, in uh, you know, exam rooms, and I noticed this question. They asked me this question a lot, and that's called the pain scale, okay? And they'll say, you know, hey, you know, how would you rate your pain on a scale of 1 to 10? And, uh, you know, down here is mild pain, in here is moderate pain, okay? And over here, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, you know, that's severe pain, like giving, you know, giving birth to a, a child, or, or something like that. I'm curious, how many of you have ever been asked this question, you know, by a doctor or a nurse? Yeah, you know what, it, you know what it, it's about. It's important, because you know what? I mean, they can't look at you and tell how much pain you're in. There's no x-ray, there's no blood test, right? Pain is invisible, and it's uh, very personal, and it helps them to know, uh, the scale helps them to know what you're experiencing so they can help you to feel, uh, feel better. Now, don't do what I did, okay? Uh, one time when they asked me, I thought, you know, I'm gonna shoot high, you know, I'm going to aim high, <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe they'll feel sorry for me and do more to help me feel better, and so they said, you know, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your pain? I said, Doc, I'm a 12, you know, and uh, he, he laughed, and uh, he knew I wasn't uh, that bad. Uh, no, I didn't actually do that, but I read this article. You know what the biggest mistake people make with the pain scale? They exaggerate, and the, the doctors or the nurses can often uh, tell, and they don't take your pain as seriously, and so honesty works best. Now, I want to ask you about another scale in your life, not about your pain level, but another area in your life that is personal and invisible, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or tell anybody, so be honest, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your personal relationship with God, okay? You know, I want you to pick, pick a number. And, you know, down here on this end, you know, on the one range, this is distant from God, feeling very disconnected from God. Maybe you don't believe in God or trust in God. And then, you know, over here, 10, you feel deeply connected to him. You sense his presence. You talk to him regularly. You read. You reflect on his word. You're just overflowing with joy and love and peace because you've got a personal relationship with God. So pick a number, and I don't know, you know, maybe you pick three or, or five or seven, and that's your starting point, but here's my next question. What are you going to do to move this direction? What are you going to do to move closer uh, to God? Because the higher you go on this scale, the better your life. The higher you go, the higher your number here, the more joy and peace and love and contentment the less fear, anxiety, worry, and guilt, and shame. And the higher, you know, you go on this scale, the better your relationships because you've got a greater capacity to focus on others and, and love. The, the, the better marriage you have if you're married, the better friendships, better relationships at work, better relationships in your family. Really, this is the most important scale right here in, in your life. And so how do you move in this direction, because you know who's responsible for where you land on this scale? Do you know who chooses you know, your number, who determines your number? You do. You know, the truth is, you're as close to God as you want to be. 
I mean, think about this. I mean, God's done his part. I mean, God said Jesus, and Jesus went to the cross, and then he resurrected from the grave to eliminate every barrier so that you and I would have the ability uh, to move up the scale and enjoy a 10 relationship with God. And so God did his part, and now you have to do your part. Take a look at this verse. Love this verse. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Isn't that a great promise? You draw near to God, God will draw near to you every time. And so maybe a few years ago, maybe your relationship with God was an eight, and now it's a four. Guess who moved? Not God. You did. But if you'll move closer to God, if you'll draw near, he'll draw near to you. You're as close to God as you choose to be. Now, I bring this up because we're continuing this series, and it's called Big Mouth. Yeah. And what we're doing is we're focusing on a section of the Bible that is probably the least taught and least read part of the Bible. It's called the minor prophets. Now, they're not called minor because they're, you know, unskilled or insignificant. They're called minor because the books are shorter. And just because they're short doesn't mean that they're unimportant. In fact, these books, as you'll see, I mean, they're powerful. They're like spiritual dynamite. They pack a punch, and that's why we're calling it Big Mouse because, you know, these prophets are so challenging and bold and courageous, especially the prophet we're going to talk about today by the name of Amos. Amos wrote a book, just nine chapters long, but it barely ever gets read or studied, which is, which is very unfortunate because I'm convinced God put Amos in the Bible so that we would understand a critically important but often overlooked way to develop a closer relationship uh, with him. I mean, if I asked you, how do you move up that scale toward God? You know, many of us would probably say, you know, read your Bible, pray, right? Attend church services, join a small group, Bible study, and those are all important, but we'll never reach our full potential. We're, we'll never really go deep with God. We're, we're never going to really go high on that scale if we don't do what Amos uh, talks about. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, you know, if Amos is so important, you know, why don't we hear about him more in church? You know, why don't we ever really talk about Amos in church? You know, this is the first time I think I've ever given uh, a message on Amos. I think the reason is because Amos has such a big mouth, okay? As you're gonna see, I mean, it, it, this book, it's just not a comforting, pleasant book that will fill you with warm feelings. You're never going to see a verse from Amos on somebody's T-shirt or bumper sticker or refrigerator. It's just such a bold and serious book. But, but think about it this way. I mean, most people who need surgery, uh, they're not excited about it, right? You know, you never hear anybody go, oh, oh, wonderful. You know, I get to have open heart surgery or, oh, I can't wait to have my knee replaced. No, nobody talks like that. But after surgery, most people feel grateful because they had something replaced or repaired. Most people feel better afterward, and Amos can do that for us uh, today. Now, since Amos is unfamiliar to many of us, I want to give you a little bit of background before we dive into what he says. First of all, Amos is a farmer. He's not a professional prophet or preacher, so he's not somebody who really expected God to use him in a significant way. On top of that, he's from a small, insignificant town called Tekoa, located about 10 miles south of Jerusalem in the kingdom of Judah. And those of you that have studied Old Testament history, you may remember that the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms that didn't really get along uh, very good. We've got the southern kingdom down here, 
and that's where uh, Amos was from in Tekoa. And then up here you've got the, this is called Judah, and then up here you've got the northern kingdom called Israel. Israel, And that's where God sends Amos. In about 750 BC, God sends Amos to the capital city of the northern kingdom called Samaria with a very important but difficult message. And so here's how Amos begins. In chapters one and two, Amos announces God's judgment against seven nations surrounding uh, Israel. Seven judgments followed by one big surprise. Now, don't worry, I'm not gonna go through all seven judgments. I'm just gonna do the first one, and I think you'll get the idea. Amos starts out in verse three of chapter one with Damascus, and that's the capital city of Syria, which is right next to Israel. And Amos says, this is what the Lord says, the people of Damascus have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. God says, Damascus, you've crossed the line. I've had enough, and you are gonna be disciplined here. And, and here's why God is so uh, upset at them. It says, because they beat down, he says, because they beat down my people in Gilead. Gilead is a city in Israel as grain is threshed with the sledges. In other words, after Damascus defeated Israel in a, in a battle, they tore down and totally destroyed the city of Gilead, which was unnecessary and unspeakably cruel. And so God says, I'm gonna punish Damascus. Now that's the first judgment. And then Amos announces God's judgment on six more nations all around Israel. He just geographically goes around uh, Israel. Seven judgments all together. And the people of Israel listen to these judgments and they're nodding their head. They think this is great because they hated these, these uh, neighbors, these other nations. They viewed them as enemies who deserve to be condemned. But right after the seven judgments, Amos announces a really big surprise that nobody saw coming. Now you have to understand that at 750 BC, Israel is thriving economically and politically. Everything's going great. And the people think, the people of Israel think they're a 10 in God's eyes. They think the thriving economy indicates God's blessing. They think Amos is coming to tell them how happy God must be with them. But take a look at these surprising words. Amos says in verse six of chapter two, this is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again and I will not let them go unpunished. Amos, says, Amos tells Israel, even though you, know, you think you know, you're wealthier than ever before, even though you think you're about to become a superpower like Egypt, even though you think you're at the top of the scale as recipients of God's favor, Amos says you got it all wrong. You're not about to become a superpower. You're about to be destroyed. And here's why God is so upset with Israel. It's really important. It's not because of the cruelty of their military endeavors like the other nations. It's something completely different. Look at what Amos says about the sin of Israel. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. See, the reason God is so upset with Israel is because instead of using their strength to extend compassion, they use their strength to take advantage of the weak and the poor and the needy and the marginalized. Amos says you sell poor people into slavery 
to buy silver and more shoes for yourself so that you can live more comfortable, luxurious lives. Amos says, God told you to provide food for orphans and widows and foreigners, but you ignore them. You shove them aside in order to have more for yourselves. Amos says, the men of the household sleep with servant girls. And to make it worse, they pass her over to their sons. Amos says, you've mistreated the poor and the needy and the disadvantaged. So you're not about to become a superpower. No, you're about to be destroyed because God's judgment is is coming. Now, I want you to keep something in mind about Israel. I mean, these people would pray in Israel. You know, they would read their scriptures. They would gather together, kind of like we do, and they would sing hymns to God, kind of like attending church, which is all good. These kinds of spiritual activities can help us grow closer to God. But they treated the poor and the needy and the marginalized so badly, they went down the scale, far away from God. And that's why if you read through the rest of the book of Amos, he just laser focuses on how they've mistreated the poor and how it has hurt their relationship with God. You know, for example, take a look here in Amos chapter 4, verse 1, where Amos says something really bold. I mean, you talk about a big mouth prophet. Look at what he says here. He says, listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. Can you believe this is in the Bible? He calls the women of Israel uh, fat cows. Now, do you think that was a compliment? No. You know, the cows in, in Israel, it was a very fertile area and they were famous for being well-fed, and Amos calls them fat cows because they ignored the poor to acquire more for themselves. Now, you need to understand, this isn't just name-calling here. Think about the nature of a cow. I mean, you know, cows are not exactly known for, for doing good, like, like some other animals. I mean, other animals sometimes help people and, and do good for people, like, you know, dogs, right? How many people have dogs here? Yeah, you know, dogs are helpful sometimes, like, Lassie, remember Lassie? Some of us that are older maybe remember Lassie on TV. He's always helping people. I mean, he would save the lives of people. And, you know, dolphins do a lot of good. You got Flipper here. I mean, you got to love Flipper. I mean, the movie, the TV show, he's always helping people out. But a cow is just a walking appetite. A cow just asks one question. How can I get more? That's all a cow really wonders about. And... You know, we can live like that. We live in a society that encourages us to just kind of be walking appetites. You know, looking for more food, more money, more pleasure. How can I get a larger house? How can I get a bigger salary? How can I drive a nicer car? How can I have greater uh, sexual pleasure? And so Amos compares the people of Israel to cows, looking for more, ignoring the poor. And remember, these people from Israel, I mean, they studied their Bible and they prayed and they gathered together to sing hymns to God, kind of like we do. They thought they're moving up that scale. They thought they were enjoying, you know, God's favor and blessing. They thought they were a a 10. But look at what Amos says in chapter five. This is what God says to Israel. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a a mighty flood of justice, an endless river 
of righteous living. God says, don't sit there at your religious gatherings singing songs and, you know, eating large amounts of food, uh, 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 congratulating yourselves on how much you love me, while there are starving people right outside your door. You know, here's the mistake the people of Israel made. They failed to make the connection between their relationship with God and how they treated the poor. And I'm afraid we can make the same mistake today because we have a tendency to measure our relationship with God by things like church attendance and Bible reading and Bible study. And those are all great things that can help us grow. But according to Amos, God has a different perspective. God says, here's how I measure my people. Are there hungry people? Feed them. Are there sick people? Help them. Are there lonely widows? Visit them. Are there oppressed people? Stand up for them. Are there children with learning disabilities? Teach them. Are there people who are rejected because of their skin color or the way that they talk? You welcome them. You be their friend because that's how God measures our lives and our relationship with him according to Amos. And you know what, it's not just Amos, okay? I mean, throughout the Bible, we see the, the huge importance that God places on his people, meeting the needs of the poor and the needy and the marginalized. For example, in Leviticus chapter 23, this is very interesting. God actually gave a law to his people. He gave a law to the Israelites that required them to feed the poor. Take a look at this in Leviticus 23. When you reap the harvest of your land, God says, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings, the leftovers of your harvest, leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I'm the Lord your God. God says when you harvest your crop, you can't do two things. Don't harvest all the way to the edge. Leave the edges for the poor. And he says, don't go back over. Once you have harvested one time, if you've left some, you leave that. Those are called gleanings. And leave those for, for the poor. And so even though it's your field, even though you did the farming work, um, you, couldn't, you couldn't go back over a second time and you couldn't uh, go all the way to the edge because God wanted you to leave food for the poor and the needy. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Ruth about a woman named Ruth who survived on these gleanings on these leftovers, and Ruth makes it all the way into the family tree of Jesus. And then the book of Proverbs has verses that connect our relationship with God with how we treat the poor. Proverbs 21 says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. In other words, if we pray and we don't get the answer that we want, maybe it's because we've shut our ears to the cries of the poor. You know, I've given a lot of messages over the years, several messages over the years, on uh, why does God sometimes not answer prayer the way that we want? I've listened to lots of messages about the mystery of unanswered uh, prayer. But I don't remember hearing this reason. If we don't listen to the poor, God might not listen to our prayers, according to that proverb. Here's another one. Proverbs 19 says, whoever's kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. In other words, there's such a close connection between God and the poor, that when we help the poor, it's like we're given to God. We're borrowing <clears throat> to God. And, and God says, I'm indebted uh, to you, which is God's way of saying, I owe you a blessing. I will owe you 
a reward. And then in the New Testament, Jesus describes the future judgment in Matthew 25. And look at the measurement that God uses. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, and least means those who didn't have food, those who didn't have clothing, those who were in prison, whatever you did for the least of these, Jesus said, you did for me. And so Jesus connects our relationship with God with how we treat the poor and the needy and the marginalized. One more scripture, the apostle John writes, if anyone has material possessions, and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. In other words, if we want a closer relationship with with God, if we want to go deeper with God, if we want to experience all the blessings that, that God has for us, we have to serve the needs of the poor. And so it's not just the prophet Amos, really the entire Bible connects our relationship with God, with the way that we treat the poor and the needy and the marginalized. I came across some numbers that really surprised me and they stuck with me. Do you know in the Bible, there are 300 verses about helping the poor, 300 verses about helping the weak, helping the widow, helping the orphan, helping the disadvantaged, 300. You know how many verses are in the Bible about homosexuality? 20, and which one gets more press today? Now, how many verses do we need to know that something is important? One is enough, right? And so I'm not saying other issues are not important. I'm just saying it's interesting that God put 300 verses on this subject and 20 on the other, and we'll spend tons of time dealing with the the 20, and and it needs to be dealt with, but we sometimes ignore the 300 verses. I'm just saying that helping the poor is a very big deal to God. And if we love him, then it's a very big deal to us. And so how do we apply this teaching from Amos and really the entire Bible to our lives today? You know, how do we apply this uh, to our church and, and to our lives as individual followers of Jesus? I mean, it's hard to know where to start, isn't it? I mean, you can step back and just imagine, you know, all the needs, all the people in the world that fit into these categories of poor and needy and and marginalized, and it can feel overwhelming. And it's tempting because the need is so great to think that, you know, my efforts aren't really going to matter. My efforts aren't going to make a difference. I did some thinking about that last week. I did some reading about that last week. You know, I spent the week on vacation with family. There were about 17 of us in the uh, Wisconsin Dells. And uh, I'm I'm kind of a morning person. And on vacation, everybody else sleeps in, and so I'm the first one up, and I have some time in the morning by myself, which is great. I enjoy it. I, I like to read. It's kind of, kind of, kind of quiet. And one day, I, I don't usually say these kinds of things, but one day, I think I may have heard from God. Here's what happened. One morning, I'm studying Amos and I'm and helping the poor, and I came across this little story about uh, Mother uh, Teresa where she talks about how to get started helping the, 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 the poor. Uh, how many of you know who Mother Teresa is? Here's her picture. Yeah, quite a few of you. Uh, she, she was about five feet tall, very small, uh, very petite, but she made a huge impact in this world serving the needs of the, of, the, uh, of, the, of the poor. So I came across this little story about her, and I really liked the story, and I thought about sharing it with you today, 
But then I just got this idea in my head that maybe I can find a better story. Maybe I can find a newer story. I thought to myself, you know, she died several years ago and maybe some people don't even know who she is, you know, anymore. So I just pushed it aside and I decided to, you know, keep looking for another uh, story. And then, you know, everybody got up and I, and I got, got together with our, our family and we went over to uh, uh, Devil's Lake to spend the day hiking and, and having uh, lunch and we arrive and a group of our family start playing a game of uh, ultimate frisbee. I just watched because of, because of my back and everybody's having fun, you know, playing ultimate frisbee and two guys, two strangers walk up and ask if they can play, if they can join the game. And our family says, sure. And they start playing, they're really good, and it was even more fun, and everybody had a blast playing Ultimate Frisbee. Afterwards, we gather together in the picnic area, it's like 90 degrees, and we're drinking, we're drinking water, and we start talking to these two strangers. And my daughter says something about church. Turns out, both of these guys work for churches. And one of the guys is named Emark. Emark starts telling me, his, his story. Yeah, get this. Emark grew up in Haiti. He was an orphan. He was an orphan. And he grew up in an orphanage in Port-au-Prince. And at the age of 10, a family from Rockford, Illinois, went on a mission trip to, to uh, Haiti, and they adopted Emark, and they brought him back to Rockford. And uh, he, he saw snow for the first time, and he grows up, and now he's a youth pastor for a church in Freeport, Illinois. Here's the part that really blew me away. Guess who started the orphanage in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where Emark grew up? Mother Teresa. Emark met Mother Teresa as a child. She taught him how to tie his shoe. And I thought to myself, you know, I just randomly met someone, you know, touched by the ministry of Mother Teresa, you know what? Maybe God wants me to use that story about Mother Teresa. I don't know. Maybe it was a coincidence. But here's a little story about Mother Teresa on how we can help uh, the poor. One time, a United States congressman flew over to Calcutta, India to meet with her. And he said, Mother Teresa, as I look around India, the poverty is just staggeringly huge. Even with what you're doing here, it's just a drop in the bucket. And Mother Teresa said, no, no, it's not a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the ocean. And she said, but if I didn't do it, there would be one less drop. And so he asked her, what should we do? What should I do? She answered him. And I love this line. She said, just do what's in front of you. Isn't that great? Just do what's in, in front of you. I want to ask you, would you reach in front of you right now? There's a a handout that says Love Waukesha on the top. Would you take that out? And I want to just go over briefly a few opportunities right in front of us today that we can do to help the poor and the needy in our, uh, commun our community. And not only will it meet important needs in the lives of people that are precious to God, it'll help you and I grow closer to God. The first opportunity is a blood drive. Do you know that hospitals need blood every day. Many surgeries re re require blood transfusions, and the only way hospitals can get more blood is through donations. And so that's why we're having a blood drive here on Thursday, July 28th. And if you're interested, if you want to sign up, you can go to our website and register. If you've got a smartphone, you can go to our website. You can do that right now. And your donation would help a needy person, and it might even save their life.
Here's another opportunity, the backpack drive coming up in, uh, coming up in a few weeks. School is going to be beginning shortly. And there are students, there are children in Waukesha who need help, who need supplies. And so in partnership with the Waukesha County Backpack Coalition, starting the last weekend of July, we're going to collect backpacks filled with supplies like pens, pencils, and papers. There's a supply list in your program, also on our website. And you can bring those backpacks, and we'll collect them. Uh, starting the last weekend of this month, and we'll uh, deliver them, okay? And here's a third opportunity. Habitat for Humanity has an August build coming up, August 8th through the 13th. Many of you know, River Glen is sponsoring the construction of a new home in downtown Waukesha for a, a needy family, and you can help build it. You don't need to you know, have any skills. If you can swing a hammer, they can use your help. I volunteered for a few hours one afternoon, and I didn't ruin the house. Okay, it's still up, and everybody I've talked to that has volunteered has had, a, has had a positive and wonderful experience. You can also register on our website. And then fourth is Bread of Healing. On Wednesday, August 31st, we're sending a team down to Cross Lutheran Church in Milwaukee. It's one of the poorest areas in Milwaukee to serve a, a meal. We do this every month that has five Wednesdays, and if you'd like to help prepare or serve the food, we can use your help. And then one more opportunity is a back-to-school event. This is, this is a, a, a related to a new partnership that we have formed with an elementary school, Whittier Elementary School in Waukesha to help meet needs. And on September 24th, we're going to hold an event with a uh, color run, walk, 5K for kids and their families. And we're going to give out free clothing and, and free haircuts. But we'll need your help. We're going to need some volunteers to make it happen. And so those are five opportunities in front of you right now. Now there's a lot of other ways that you can help the poor, that's not exhaustive, but I wanted to put a few opportunities in front of you because it can feel overwhelming. I mean, to think about <clears throat> all the needs and all the people in the world that fit into poor, the categories of poor and needy and, and marginalized. And sometimes we think the need is so big, my efforts won't make any difference. But we've got needy people right here in our community. And just like Mother Teresa said, just do what's in front of you. If you'd like to find out more about any of these opportunities, you can go to our website, click on outreach, or take that connect card in front of you and write down, uh, write down in the comment section which one you're interested in and one of our, somebody from our team will contact you. And you'll not only meet needs in the lives of people who matter to God, who are precious to God, you will celebrate an even closer relationship, an even closer walk with God. It's interesting to me, one time Jesus summarized his ministry. He's getting ready to launch his public ministry and he describes the mission God gave him. This is from Luke chapter four. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's interesting to me, Jesus came to help everybody, but he specifically mentions the poor and the needy and the troubled. And so as we prepare to share communion, let's remember this message of good news, that Jesus came to this world to die on a cross to forgive all of our sin. The bread represents Christ's body. The juice, it represents Christ's blood. Jesus died for our sins. And then he came back to life. 
And he walked out of that tomb as our leader and we follow him by carrying out his mission today, especially to the poor and needy and troubled. Communion's all new to you and you wanna take a pass on it, that's fine, but I want you to know our communion is, is open to anybody who says yes to Jesus and to his mission. Before we, uh, before we share that, let me pray for us. God, thank you for the, for the book of Amos and what it teaches us about you and your heart for the poor and the needy. God, there are a lot of needs in our world and in our community right now, a lot of troubled and hurting people. God, I, I wanna lift up uh, the country of France right now to you. I, I pray for the many people and families that are grieving and troubled and hurting because of the horrible violence that happened this week. God, help them to find peace and strength and comfort and hope in you. God, I pray for more people to, to turn to you. And God, we've got many needs, many people who need help in our community, many opportunities in front of us right now. Help us remember that our relationship with you is connected to how we treat the poor and the needy. God, I pray that you'll use River Glen to just unleash a wave of compassion locally and regionally and globally. Right now we pause to remember Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross to forgive our sins. And also the mission he gave us to take the good news to all people and to serve the needs of the poor and the needy and the troubled. And we pray this in his name. Amen.